So we're continuing this morning a series we started last week called the Holy Spirit. And uh, we talked last week about who the Holy Spirit was. We said, he's my helper, he's my friend, and he's my God. And I want you to take a pen out um, if you have an opportunity, if you have something with you, a smartphone or something that you want to jot some notes on. Uh, in my mind, when we started this series, I really thought that today we would be talking about spirit baptism, um, but we're not. <laughs> In a few weeks, we'll get there. 26 years ago, I received spirit baptism, and it changed my life. To my knowledge, no one on either side of my family, as far back as I can go, has ever received spirit baptism, but I have. And it was, it was, a, it was an experience with God that changed my life. And so we're going to get there. But the more I prayed, the more that I studied, the more that I really felt what the Holy Spirit wanted to say to us and to do in us at this time is to get us to focus first on who He is before we talk about what He does. I, I, I think too many times we get focused on His actions and we forget that He's a person. And so this morning, that's what I want to talk about. I'm going to give you, normally what I like to do is zero in on a passage in Scripture and really just unpack it for a long time. What I am going to do today and oftentimes during this series is I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture. So I'm, so I'm encouraging you maybe to write these things down or you can jump on the podcast later and, and get it if you missed it. Because I want you to realize that when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we are standing on rock-solid scriptural doctrinal ground. In other words, I'm not bringing something to you that's a fad or that, that uh, happened on TV somewhere or, or that you know is the latest thing happening. What I want you to know and I want you to get a deep conviction about is when we're studying the Holy Spirit, I'm going to show you in Scripture how we're standing on deep, solid ground. So I, I wondered, why is, it, why is it that people tend to refer to the Holy Spirit as it? You know, have you, have you heard this? Or why do, when we think about the Holy Spirit, do we think about power, or do we think about a force, or do we think about, you know, wind? Why, when we think about the Holy Spirit, do we think about miracles, and we think about supernatural demonstrations, and all of those things are things that He does. But what I think we need to focus on first is, who is He? So this morning, we're just going to talk about this, if you want to jot this down. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit is a person. Not an it, not a force, not a wind, not a power, not a demonstration, not a miracle, not a supernatural act. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Bible never refers to the Holy Spirit as it, because an it is an object or a thing. The Bible refers to him as a person, and I think part of our challenge in understanding him as a person is his name. I mean, you've got the father, we get that. I got a dad, I get that. You got the son, I got two sons, I get that. You got the Holy Spirit. Who's that, the crazy uncle? I mean, I don't really, I'm not really sure where to put that. In if we're going to use family titles, I'm not sure why we got this father, son, and did anybody else struggle with that? It might have helped if God would have called him the grandson or the, you know, or the, or the godparent or something. I think part of it is, is, 
is his name. But if you study in Scripture, you realize that the Holy Spirit's not really his name. His name is God. His description is the Holy Spirit. So the Son is not really Jesus' name. The Son is his description. The Father is not really his name. The Father is his description. But either way you say it, he's God. So if you're going to talk about the Holy Spirit as a person, then you have to begin to think, what are the characteristics of a person? In other words, what makes a person a person? Well, you drove here uh, in a car today, but your car's not a person, right? It's a thing. Everybody agree? Your car's a thing. Now, I've known people who, you know, massage their car and detailed their car and had little blankets for their car and, you know, were very particular about their car and talked to their car. And, you know, she's a good girl. You know, she's, well, she's been faithful. She stayed with me and all these little things. That doesn't make your car a person. That just makes your car an idol. I'll let that sit in for a minute. So some people would say, I know what makes a person a person life. The car has no life, so the car can't be a person. But a tree has life, and a tree's not a person. What makes a person a person? A person has a personality. A person has a soul. A person has a mind and a will and emotions. A person can express thought. A person can love. A person can feel. A person has desires. A person has a will. The Holy Spirit is a person who has a will and has a mind and has emotions. And the Holy Spirit wants to affect your soul. He wants to help us think what God thinks. He wants to help us desire what God desires, to feel what God feels, to relate the way God relates. He comes to invade our thoughts. He comes to invade our desires and our feelings and our relationships. And not only does he want to do it, he also has the power to do it. So let me give you four things this morning that make the Holy Spirit a person. Not an it, not a force, not a power, not the crazy uncle, not the lost member of the Trinity. What makes the Holy Spirit a person? Here's the first one. He has a capacity... He has the capacity for relationship. John 14, 17 says, The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit has a capacity for relationship. Only people have the capacity for relationship. Look, dogs are called men's best friend. But a dog doesn't really have the capacity for true relationship. They learn patterns. They're creatures of habit. But they don't really have a capacity for relationship. I mean, I mean, your dog doesn't really love you. You can imagine that they do. I, I remember when I was, uh, Stacy and I were first married, I, as a little present, you know, instead of a baby. There you go, young marrieds. Guys, dial in with me. I got her a puppy. <laughs> This is a little Yorkshire Terrier. He was um, two and a half pounds. Great little animal, beautiful dog. And then along came our uh, first son, so he got bumped in rank. Then along came our second son. And this little dog was just like part of the family, you know. But he had this crazy thing about him. I don't know what it was. He always wanted to run away. I have no idea why. And I, kept, I would look at him and I would say, as if he would answer, what is it out there that you want? 
You have food. You have water. You're protected. You're loved. What is it that you think is so great out there? And he would sit right on the arm of the couch, and when somebody converted, as soon as you'd open the door, he would bounce off the arm of the couch, and the first time he'd eat with the ground would be on the front porch, and he would go straight to the street. And from the street, he would take a 90-degree turn up the road, and he would run off into the orange horizon of the sunset as far as you could see, like he was running towards something. And I just thought, do you hate us? Why do you do that? And then we would go out there and call him, Sebastian! The kids are crying, Sebastian! And that demon-possessed little animal (laughs) would sit there under a bush like this. And he would look at you, but he would become a statue. He would not move. He didn't want you to find him. Sebastian, he'd go like, you'd be right up on him, and he'd never move. And so finally, one day, he got out, and he ran away. We couldn't find him. He was gone. Day one, he's gone. Day two, he's gone. Day three, he's gone. We can't find him. Oh, man, the kids are crying. They're upset. We've called the National Guard. Helicopters are flying over. We're tacking stuff on, you know, telephone poles everywhere. We're walking the streets till dark. Sebastian! The kids are crying. We're holding a prayer vigil. We're lighting candles. We're doing everything you can do for this idiot dog to come back. Finally, after a week, this family calls and says, we think we have your dog. And they come in the driveway, and there he is. We say, well, where where did you find him? He ran a mile straight away from our house, across a railroad track, across two highways, straight to a little uh, playground where there was a baseball diamond deal. A big tournament was going on. Ran right up to a kid, and the kid grabs him and just holds him, and he just sits there. And she said, oh, yeah, he's been sleeping in the bed with my daughter. He's just you know, eating with us. He's been making it home. And I thought, that dog doesn't have a soul. That dog doesn't have a personality. He doesn't love me. If that dog has a capacity for relationships, then he's just a jerk. <laughs> he has no capacity for relationships. He can just move in with another family and be just as happy as he was with us. We're like disposable to him. The Holy Spirit has a relationship and capacity for relationships. He has relationships with believers. He has a relationship, the Bible says, with the Father and with the Son. And that's what makes him a person. Here's the second one. He has a will. Look at Acts 16.6. Interesting verse. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of hard word, and Galatia. That's what they tell you in Bible school. If you don't know, just go fast. Nobody will notice. Having been kept, look at this, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Having been kept by the, see, the Holy Spirit's will is the will of God. And since he has a will, and since his will is God's will, it's a good idea to get to know him. If we want to know the will of God, we need to get to know the Holy Spirit. How can you know the specific will of God? Let's just have a pretend dialogue. How can you know the specific will of God for your life? Maybe some believers would say, well, you read the Bible. Yes, the Bible is God's inspired holy word. It is God-breathed. Yes, I get it. 
The Bible, though, is the general will of God. God's will reveals truth. It reveals God. It tells us generally what to do. The Bible teaches us about character. The Bible teaches us about sins. The Bible teaches us about God. The Bible teaches us to love people. But what about specifics? How do you know what job to take? Is that in the Bible? How do you know when to share your faith? Is that in the Bible? How do you know what to say to someone in a moment when encouragement is needed or reconciliation is needed or a conflict needs to be resolved or when you need wisdom? How do you know that? How did the New Testament believers know how to be the church when there was no New Testament? How did they know how? They had to follow the Holy Spirit. Now, now, let's dialogue. Maybe you're saying, but now we have the Bible. They didn't have the Bible, but now we have the Bible. But the Bible was never intended to replace the Holy Spirit or a relationship with Him. Last time I checked, it was not Father, Son, Holy Scripture. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Scriptures are not a replacement for a relationship with the Holy Spirit. They are a confirmation that you have one. They will show you what one looks like. They will teach you how the Spirit works. They will teach you what His will is. But they are not a replacement for a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Bible confirms that relationship. In other words, the Holy Spirit will never lead us to do anything that disagrees with Scripture. And the Holy Spirit will illuminate Scripture and help us understand it. The Bible's how we get the principles and the character, but the Holy Spirit is how you get to know Him as a person. How are you going to know God's will for your life? How are you going to know God's will for your children without the Holy Spirit? It's very interesting in Acts 16, 6, the Bible says Paul was kept from preaching the gospel in Asia. I don't know anywhere that Paul could have turned in the Bible that he had that would have told him he ought not to preach the gospel. If we were to search the scripture today, we would say, the Bible, I mean, what scripture are you going to pull out to say, don't share the gospel here? The scripture would generally tell you, preach the gospel, share the gospel, live the gospel, witness, right? How could you possibly ever, ever quantify? How could you ever come to the conclusion that there are some times, there are some spaces, there are some moments, and how would you know what moment that is? That you're not, that, that the, the Bible says the Holy Spirit kept him from sharing. Because everything that's in my church history, everything that my understanding of Scripture is, there's, when do you not? Right? Apparently when the Holy Spirit says not. And sometimes he'll say not. But, but if you read the Scripture alone, you may not get that. Why does the Holy Spirit want to talk to you personally? Because he wants a relationship with you personally. It's not about information. It's about relationship. And the reason it's so important for you to get to know the Holy Spirit as a person, because if he's not a person to you, you'll never talk to him. See, you can... There he is. He's dialing in now. You can, you can ignore an object. You can walk into, I don't know how many times I walk, uh, we'll drive through the neighborhood and Stacey and I'm going to walk somewhere and I'll go, I'll go, has that house always been here? And she goes, you're crazy. Have you never seen that house? I didn't know that. I'm just going by 100 miles. I never saw that house. 
Did they just build that? It looks 50 years old. Surely they didn't just build that. You can ignore an object. You can ignore a chair. And if you think about the Holy Spirit as a force or a power or a wind, you can ignore him. But if he's a person, it's hard to walk in a room with only one other person and ignore him. Unless you're in an elevator, then it's normal. Other, other than that, it's hard to just ignore him. He has a capacity for relationship. He has a will. Here's the third one. He has a mind. John 16, 13 says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Boy, that's a big word right there. All truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. How can he guide us into all truth if he doesn't have a mind? Where does he store all that truth? Where is it retained? See, the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us, was present at creation, at the beginning of everything. He expressed an intellect at creation. When we think about the birds, and we think about the flowers, and we think about trees, and we think about mountains, and animals, and rivers, and the details of creation, all of that came from the mind of God. And since the Holy Spirit has intelligence, I wonder what the Holy Spirit's IQ is. You ever thought about that? Uh, 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 apparently, or su supposedly, the highest IQ ever recorded was 198. Just a few points above mine. About 100 above mine. A few points. What's the Holy Spirit's IQ? He doesn't have an IQ. He has intelligence. He doesn't have an IQ. IQ is an intelligence quotient that is intended to measure. He doesn't have an IQ because you can't measure his intelligence because his intelligence is immeasurable. It's unlimited. The Holy Spirit knows everything there is to know about everything. Now watch this. Watch this real close. You have someone living inside you who knows everything there is to know about everything, and he's committed to be your teacher. Man, that is good news. That is good news. If you ever want to know something... Why don't you ask the one who knows everything? He's waiting for us to be the student. Do you ask the Holy Spirit before you make big decisions? Do you ask the Holy Spirit when you have an impression that you need to do something? You say, Lord, is that, are you talking to me? Are you leading me? Do you ask the one who knows everything? I can remember um, when I was in high school, um, I was just starting, I dated a couple times before this, but I just really fell head over in heels in love with this guy. I mean, I fell like a concrete slab. I was gone. There's this girl, uh, I, I played on the basketball team. She was a cheerleader, and she was a year older than me, which was, you know, huge to date somebody a grade up. And uh, I can remember, I, I just was lost. And a few months before that, I had just gotten saved. I'd really just given my life to Christ, and so I didn't really know how to work out all of this yet. But I was, you know, doing school, doing what I knew how to do, going to church, following God the best I could understand. And then this relationship came along, and after several months, she, she broke up with me. 
And I can remember, I literally, I, there was a, the first couple of days, I thought I was going to die. I literally thought I was going to die. I felt like a hollow bamboo, you know, shoot. And I thought, there's nothing in here left. She has gutted me. I'm dead. And, and, uh, and I want to say this to you because you can dismiss this as uh, you, this is just a little uh, sweetheart crush or whatever. I want to tell you something. Many of the problems that people deal with today come from relationship wounds that never were healed properly. And a lot of times it starts, I, I spent a lot of years youth pastoring, and I've watched kids go from 12 to 15 to 25 to 35, and I'm telling you a lot of it starts right there. It's not just a little childish thing. If you don't learn to deal with the wounds in your life and allow God to deal with them, oftentimes they follow you for decades, and they, they can ruin your life. I didn't know that. I had no idea. And so I didn't know what to do. I didn't have anybody in my life that I could tell. I was embarrassed. I didn't know who to ask for advice. And so by, I almost feel like not luck, but I know it was God helping me. I just turned to God. I just went to him and I poured. I mean, I thought I was going to die for three days. And then after that, about the fourth day, I just started talking to him. I said, God, I don't, Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I just pour my heart out to you. Help me. I don't know what's, what I'm going to do. I can't get her back. I don't know what to do now. And I can remember the Holy Spirit said something to me that I, I'm still amazed how I even heard it. He said to me, I don't want you to date anybody else again until I tell you to. Well, I thought, that's not me. That's got to be him. Because I was in like a small school where there were, you know, you didn't, there was a big fish in a little pond. Are we communicating? So there were options. And I, and I remember saying, okay, God, you with me? All right. It took you a minute, but you got there. So I said, so I spent the next year and a half of my life, if I remember the time right, it was the last half of my sophomore year and the entire junior year in high school, and I didn't date anybody. And I'm just saying to you, there wasn't anything necessarily in Scripture that I could understand that would have that. But the Holy Spirit had a will for my life. And His will was to separate me until He could heal me, not only from that relationship, but from some broken pieces in my own childhood that would have certainly led me to even worse relationships. And had I not been able to hear that, I don't know, I don't know where I would be today. I'm, I'm telling you, I promise you, relationships will shape your future. And I don't know where I would be today, but I learned to realize that there's no problem that you can have that he doesn't have the answer to because he knows all things and he lives in you and he will lead you, say this word with me, into all. He will lead you into all truth. He has all of it. He's not a power that you use. He's a person that you know. And he's not just a person. He's a divine person, which means you don't use him. He uses you. Right? He's God. So he has the capacity for relationship. He has a will, and he has a mind. And here's the last one. He has emotions. Galatians chapter... Uh, Five. Have you found Ephesians 4 yet? 
We're not there. Galatians chapter 5, 22-23. But the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the Father, not the fruit of the Son, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What you're reading are the characteristics of a person, not of an object or a force. You're reading the characteristics of a person. A person exhibits love. A person exhibits kindness. A person exhibits self-control. An object doesn't have self-control. Your car has no self-control. A tree has no self-control. But a person has self-control. What we're seeing here is the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, this is his personality. This is his person. This is his character. He will not produce something in you that's different than what he is. He's producing himself in you. He wants his characteristics to become ours. Look at the second one. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy. How can he have joy if he has no emotion? Have you found Ephesians yet? Now we're there. Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's a fascinating uh, thought. Now we have the Spirit of God who is a person who can experience both joy and grief. These are, these are emotions. These are, these are feelings. The Holy Spirit can have joy and can have grief. This verse not only shows us the Holy Spirit has emotion, but it also brings up a very important question that I'd like to wrap this message up with this morning. What grieves the Holy Spirit? If he can experience grief, what causes him to experience grief? What brings it? Well, if you look at the context in Ephesians 4.30, back up to 25. There's a, several verses here, but I want to just move through them pretty quick and show you what grieves the Holy Spirit. In other words, this verse on do not grieve the Holy Spirit is set in a context, is set in a paragraph. And that paragraph gives you the broader understanding. Let's just look at it together for a minute. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Lying grieves the Holy Spirit. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Ventilating your anger in a sinful way grieves the Holy Spirit. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Unreconciled conflict grieves the Holy Spirit, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must no longer steal. Stealing grieves the Holy Spirit. But you must work doing something useful with your own hands. Not working. Isn't that interesting? Not being fruitful grieves the Holy Spirit. That, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up. Tearing people down, criticizing people, gossiping, cutting people down, condemning them. It grieves the Holy Spirit. But build others up according to their need that it may benefit those who listen. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and every form of malice grieves the Holy Spirit. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. What grieves the Holy Spirit? All these sins have to do with relationship with each other. In your relationships with people, the Scripture is saying to us, you're going to have times where you're offended. You're going to have times where you're angry. You're going to have times where you're frustrated. You're going to have times where you're outright done wrong. When you get wounded, when you get hurt, when you get offended, when you get frustrated, don't sin. Don't seek revenge. These things grieve the Holy Spirit. Why does sin grieve the Holy Spirit? What grieves the Holy Spirit? Sin. Why does sin grieve the Holy Spirit? Listen to this this morning. Because sin hurts people and the Holy Spirit loves people. It's not because he's a prude. It's not because he's old-fashioned. It's because sin hurts people and it grieves the Holy Spirit. Sin will hurt you. It will destroy you. When you think about this word grieve, haven't you ever watched someone that you love go the wrong way, make the wrong choices, and, and you, 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 you think, Lord, what am I going to do? And you pray for them, and you ask God, what can I do? And you try, and maybe you talk to them, and you encourage them, and you do everything you know to do, but they keep going the wrong way. Can you describe that feeling as anything other than grief? It just, it just, it just grieves you. It just, it's, it, 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 it lays heavy on you. If you've ever had one of your own children just go the wrong way, and no matter what you said and no matter what you did, it just seemed like they were going to keep going that way, and you knew what was coming and you knew what was ahead, and you knew it was going to hurt them and you knew it was going to destroy, you knew it was going to break down, you knew what a waste. Can you describe that as anything other than grief? It just grieves you. Because you realize the senselessness in it. You realize what's being lost. You, real, you realize what we're losing. I can remember when I was a, a really, really young, I'd been a youth pastor maybe two, three months. And I was sitting in a youth camp, and I was uh, bunking with a whole room full of youth pastors. And I can remember one night we were in there, and one of them got a message somehow. I, that was before text. I'm not sure how we got information back then. You know, by, maybe it's the U.S. Pony, pony Mail. I'm not sure how we got it. Somehow, we got a message, and the word came that a pastor that all those guys knew, I didn't know, I was new, all of them knew, had had a moral failure. He had had a church he was serving, and his offices were way in the back, and he had gotten in a relationship with some lady, and she would visit him there at the office, and there was an affair, and it just, it just blew the church apart, and all that. And, I, and I'd only been in ministry like two months. I didn't know him. I didn't know most of the guys in the room. But I can remember the morbid feeling of grief that struck that room when those guys, some of those guys moved to tears, and they sat in that room, and they just said, I talked to him. I told him he shouldn't have his office back there. I told him he ought to be more careful about stuff like that, and I don't know why, and now this church is this way, and I've got some relatives go there, and it's going to hurt them, and it's going to hurt this person, and it's going to hurt that one. And I just saw the pain unroll like an ocean wave. And I saw the grief on those men's faces and how moved they were. And I thought, that's got to be what the Holy Spirit feels like when it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. 
He experiences intense sadness over your life and mine. Intense. It is absolutely vital that you and I don't see him as an object or a power or a force, but a person that grieves over you and I when we go the wrong way and do the wrong thing and mistreat each other and hurt each other and harm each other and express anger in wrong ways. It grieves. We're here in this series on the Holy Spirit. We're saying, Holy Spirit, welcome to this place. Holy Spirit, we want you here. Holy Spirit, come and do whatever you want to do. Holy Spirit, come and fill us with your power. And I think sometimes he's saying, wait a minute, there's some things in your life that I'm grieved and I'm sad about. And it hinders his ability to flow. It hinders Can you feel the heaviness in the room right now? I've been praying for you. I've been praying for me that we would experience this morning the sadness of the Holy Spirit. Why does he he not want sin? It's not because he's mad. It's not because he's too good. It's because it damages. And I'm telling you, you have those things in your life and you can't say on one hand, God, flow through me. I want your spirit. I want your presence. I want your power. And on the other hand, say, I want what I want. I'm going to do what I want. And that person offended me and I'm not going to forgive them and I'm not letting it go. You can't harbor those things in the same body. You want God to have his way. Then you've got to understand he's a person who has emotion. Who grieves? Don't. (laughs) Paul said, do not. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's power. But you, you might decide by the time we get there you don't want it. Because it's, like uh, it's not like a prize in the bottom of the Cracker Jack box. It's not like a lottery that you win. It's not like, it's not like, it's not like an event in your life that has no relationship. I really feel the Holy Spirit wants us to know Him. I think he wants us to know who he is before we know before we know what he does. What he does is critical. But what he does is an overflow of who he is. And 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 <laughs> we'll get there. Today I'm gonna ask you to stand, ask the prayer team to come. Man, I've been asking God to help me to know how to how to do this. So here's what we'll do. Every eye closed. It's get real time. There's there's some of you here this morning, and the truth is there there are things in your life, there are decisions, there are challenges, there are projects that you have not even one time asked the Holy Spirit's help for. I mean, you've never asked for his help. You've never asked for his guidance. You've never asked for his will. You've never asked for his plan. You've never asked for his direction. It doesn't mean you're trying to make a bad decision. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. 
you're, doing, you're making the best decision you know how to make. But there is one who lives in you who knows everything. And you've never even asked him. And I, and I do think that on some level that grieves him. That we just, even though our attempt may be sincere, we never even ask. It's his joy to lead. It's his pleasure. And so this morning, maybe that's you. Every eye closed, you say, I've not even asked the Holy Spirit about this. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me? And that's me. I got some stuff. And Hey, I see them. You can put it right back down when you put it up. You put it right back down. See your hand. Man, there's some stuff there. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what? There's somebody in my life that I'm, I haven't forgiven. And man, there needs to be some forgiveness. I need to forgive. I just need to forgive. Because unforgiveness turns into bitterness. You know, it starts with offense and anger. Then it turns into bitterness and resentment. And, and, and then it blocks, it dams up the work of the Spirit. The Spirit can't flow in your life. And you say, I want, Holy Spirit, I want you to do what you want. But you, you, then you have to let go. You have to let go of people. The way Christ let go of us and let go of our offenses to Him. He forgave us. And you have to let go. And God's saying to you, it's time to let go. I love you and I want to work with you and I live in you and I want to flow through you. But you've got, it's time to forgive. And maybe, let me say it this way. Maybe it's time to take a step in forgiveness. How about that? Sometimes forgiveness is a process. It's time to take a step in forgiveness. Or it's time that you ask someone to forgive you. How many of you with every eye closed, you'd say, here's what I want this morning. I, I, what I'm looking for, 100 people to raise their hand. Here's what I'm looking for. If the Holy Spirit is talking to you and He's drawing you, that's what I'm looking for. You say this morning, even as you're talking, even in the message, the Holy Spirit has brought this to me. I know, I know it's time for me. I want you to lift your hand and say, I need to forgive. I need to ask someone to forgive me. I want you to lift your hand and say, that's me. That's me. I see it. I see it. I see it. You put it right back down. Not, I don't, I'm not making a show. I see it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Here's the cool thing. God will only do that because He wants you to be free. He doesn't, he's not against you. He doesn't dislike you. He wants you to be free. This morning, maybe there's some priorities in your life that you, you are putting in front of God's way and God's work and His Spirit. And He's saying to you, don't grieve me. Don't put me on the back burner. Don't put me last. Don't leave me out. Don't, don't grieve me. If that's you this morning, I want you to lift your hand and say, there's some things that have to change in my life and my priorities. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to help me today. Would you lift your hand today? Say, that's me. Yeah, I see your hand. Yeah, I see it. That's cool. Yes, I see it. Put it right back down. I'm, I, I'm in no way want to embarrass you. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And when I do, I'm going to ask you, if you lifted your hand, I want you to take a step of faith now. Look, you can be very general if you want to. If you need to forgive somebody, you don't even have to tell who. You can just come and let, I want you to let one of the prayer team agree with you. Let's make this a sacred moment where you take a step in forgiveness. You take a step in reorganizing your priorities. You take a step and you meet the Holy Spirit here. And He's going to do a great work in your life. Lord Jesus, I thank you today that you have sent the Comforter. And I thank you today that Holy Spirit, you know all truth. And I thank you today that you're so grieved over these things. 
not because you're mad, not because you hate, but because you love. And you know what's best for us. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place right now. And we ask you to move. Lord, we ask you to do your work. We ask you to, to confirm who you are drawing. And now I pray that there would be a change. Forgiveness is going to flow this morning. Healing is going to run like a river. Lord, we pray for you to have your way now. As the worship team begins to sing, you lifted your hand. We will meet you right here. I want you to step out from where you are on the balcony. We're going to wait for you right there. Just take a step this morning of freedom. Take a step this morning.